0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Daily Friend Wrap. I am your host, Nicholas Lorimer, and today I'm joined by Makone Maja. Let us get into the news of today, and I think the first thing we're going to talk about today is the former Vice-Chancellor of UCT, Professor Pakeng, who has been absolutely eviscerated in a massive report compiled by retired Supreme Court of Appeal uh, Judge President, Judge Lex Mpati, um, basically describing her time as running UCT as one where she encouraged racial division, bullied people, and did all sorts of other terrible things. Uh, the report says, quote, the most troubling aspect of her leadership was the divisive way she used race and racial differences as a weapon in her interaction with almost everyone in UCT, regardless of their position. Uh, the report goes on to say her crass obsession with race as a uh, as, as a former council chair described it became worse not better with time it became increasingly difficult for leaders and staff to attend meetings with her as she broke no disagreement and caused distress to those affected um it includes uh, incidents where according to people uh, interviewed by the report by the by the, by the people working on the report became insisted that she was quote the only real black person in the executive because she had kinky hair and she dismissed claims by anyone else who identified themselves as black. Um, one particular exciting incident, I suppose you could call it, was um, when she was arguing with a, uh, uh, an HR manager um, who describes herself as black, but Peking referred to her as colored and refused to her, call her a, a, a black person. At one point, this HR official began a sentence with the phrase, as a black person, And Peking interrupted her and said, you're not black. You don't have hair like me. You don't smell like me. You don't look like me. And you don't taste like me. Um, uh, In a different incident, the same HR manager was sent crying from a uh, meeting because Peking um, was apparently uh, ranting at her uh, incoherently, according to the report so a controversial figure with many um supporters on social media but also very many detractors particularly within the administration of UCT and uh McCormick, you said you were struck by how after this uh, after her tenure at UCT which this report suggests was a little bit turbulent to say the least she still walked away with 12 million Rand golden handshake what do you make of all this
1: I am in utter shock at that shakedown of 12 million rands, uh, which I had said, Nick, that I hope was conditional, um, said to be conditional on the basis of the report coming out and the findings of the report determining whether indeed she should be paid out um, that 12 million rand golden handshake. I mean, reading these um, exchanges and the transcripts, it reads like a like a high school playground exchange between a bunch of mean girls. It's very hard to believe that this is the academic institutions, the most revered, uh, most prestigious academic institution in the country, right? With so many accolades and so many awards, I could hardly believe that that was the chancellor for that um, institution. I I was also particularly struck by the level of gatekeeping that took place there on what constitutes black and what's not black for all I know. I don't even have enough taste to be black like her. (laughs) But all in all, utterly disappointed and um, not surprised though by how profitable an enterprise um, race hustling is.
0: Yeah, I think this is unfortunately a great example of why uh, such racial divis- divisiveness uh, remains in our in our public discourse, in the senior levels of our uh, uh, institutions, in our elites, in our politics, um, because for some people. You know, it is a effective way to advance themselves and to crush dissent. Uh, and you know, it's not just used to target people who are who are white or who are Indian or coloured. It can be used to target anyone um, by, as you say, gatekeeping who is who is who is or is not black. Um, and and uh, it is extremely poisonous for the atmosphere of any institution. That something like this yeah. takes hold in, so i'm glad this report is out because hopefully it will foster a bit of national conversation on this kind of yeah. um, behavior in 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 certain elite institutions yeah. okay let 's move on to our next topic, and this one there's been a lot of um i've seen the people who i who I pay attention to in in Uh, the media and in economics, saying that the medium-term policy budget speech by Hinoa Kolongwana was reasonably good. Um, It it at least committed to some uh, reining in of spending. There are other critics who say that we shouldn't be fooled, that this is not really um, going to actually fundamentally change the financial position that South Africa is in. But one of the aspects which I really... Uh, I'm not too enthused by, is how some of South Africa's worst-run municipalities are having their ESCOM debt written off. Apparently, two of the ten most indebted councils to ESCOM, those being Mfuleni and Emalahleni. Lahleni, um, Mfuleni is, I think, in, in uh, southwest Gauteng, and uh, Emalahleni Lahleni is uh, Um they have been pretty close to, they, they have been defaulting on their payments uh, to ESCOM, for a substantial amount of outstanding debt but they applied to national government to have that debt written off and apparently um, they are having their debt written off along with uh, 67 other municipalities um 28 councils according to the finance minister had already been proved approved for this debt relief and uh they these two municipalities in particular own a combined oh a combined 13 billion rand to escom which will be taken over by government. Not, uh, not a great incentive, Makone, to, to say to most, uh, you almost, know, some of your worst-run municipalities, oh, well, you know, you guys are so badly run that I guess we'll just write it off. What do you make of this?
1: I think one of those municipalities, Mfuleni, um, I believe, has one of the largest amounts in terms of court, default, defaulting uh, court orders against it, And I think that court order or judgment was made in 2020, so during COVID. So these issues have been looming for a while. And like you said, we're placing the incentives in all the wrong directions, right? Essentially, the message we should take away from this is if we go for long enough periods of time not paying our rates, we will have um, relief being provided to us by the national treasury at a time where debt is so high in South Africa, where you are etching a 75% debt to GDP ratio, where a quarter of our GDP now goes to debt servicing costs. Um, It just feeds that cycle and that cyclical loop of um, ineptitude in municipality being rewarded, right? Because we know that um, not only will the people who work at those municipalities not be fired for poor revenue collection mechanisms, which we should discuss and have a robust discussion about that in the country. They'll probably be elevated to one or other position, uh, either in parliament or a bigger office in local government. But again, the incentives are in all the wrong positions, and that's how we never actually get to fix anything in this country. We just put a plaster on it, whether it's through a bailout or, um, as the minister has done now, just giving them relief and paying off the debt.
0: Uh, that's exactly right. Um, and without meaningful reforms and a track record of reforms, which shows that these municipalities are able to start making um, more money, start collecting that money, start you know spending the money correctly. Because in some of these municipalities, you actually do have the people paying. There aren't actually that high levels of defaulting. Um, but then the municipal budget is redirected to somewhere else or stolen or something like that and they, <laughs> the bill doesn't get paid despite people actually paying their bills which is even worse um than having widespread defaulting so i think you know these municipalities need to show first that they really really have actually fundamentally turned themselves around before they get anything like uh, mm-hmm. debt relief anyway um last topic for today There's been a lot of controversy recently over ESCOM's use of coal power, about 80% or something like that of the country's power is produced by coal, Um, a small amount by nuclear power, and then also some by by various other things, Uh, the open-cycle gas turbine diesel generators, the uh, wind and solar energy, um, making a small amount of of additions to the power grid, but uh, a growing amount. Um, And one of the battles has been over quality of air, which uh, many environmentalists have in particular attacked ESCOM for. Um, And this has been, there've been several court cases where uh, environmental groups have attempted to get coal power plants shut down um, for not meeting environmental requirements. Uh, Something that ESCOM has resisted because they say that while they, you know, are not able to meet some of these environmental uh, requirements, it's simply because they are in, Massive risk of load shedding if they close down these power stations um, due to not having surplus supply. So the, the ESCOM has done a study now to add to this debate saying that they reckon that due to the poor, due to the reduction in air quality, um, uh, ESCOM's coal power stations kill about 330 people per year who presumably would not have died um, without the the degradation to to the air quality caused by coal power. Uh, environmental groups claim that that number is much higher, between 650 and 2,000 people a year, depending on the group and the study um, concerned. But McCorne, this is, to me, seems like a really classic case of trade-offs. Um, what exactly do you want from your power system? What can you afford? What costs are you willing to bear? And what costs uh, are you not willing to bear? Um, and, uh, you know, I'm not a huge fan of of coal power in of itself, although I recognize that it's very cheap and it has a lot of positives, you know, especially for South Africa a place where we have huge amounts of coal. Um, but then we also have to look at the alternatives, don't we? Of, you know, if we didn't have these coal power plants, what would the cost mm-hmm. of that be?
1: You're right about the t- it bringing up the discussion of trade-offs, Nick, and for... Every decision we make, they are going to be trade-offs, whether that's going with um, nuclear or going with renewable energy. And essentially what you want in a power station is either it's two or three things. We can't have them all, right, in light of trade-offs. You can have cheap energy, you can have reliable energy, or you can have clean energy. With um, coal, you are supposed to. Supposed to being the keyword, have reliable energy, right? Which would be one breakdown or one period of load shedding uh, in a 10-year duration. Uh, and then you also have cheap electricity. You don't have clean electricity. So we sacrifice that. We sacrifice clean air. With with nuclear, you have all three, except on the cheap side, it it gets cheaper the longer the nuclear facility operates, then you can pay off the debt in which you incurred. So you certainly have clean energy. You have reliable energy, not so much on the cheap side. So again, you forfeit one of the three requirements. And similarly with renewable energy, you will have clean energy. You will miss the reliability of the energy because of dunkelflatter, like depending on how good our weather is doing, um, will you have reliable energy? And then you'll also have um, cheap energy. But I, as a South African today, I'm willing to sacrifice um, a few, I I think we would be sacrificing fewer lives to poor poor air quality than we would if we were to do away with coal power stations uh, as quickly as, say, Germany or Kenya's doing um, and brought in renewable energy. I think we would lose far more lives to poverty if we were to just uproot Coal power stations today and switch to a different form of energy. So, again, trade offs need to be made. Uh, As it stands today, I I see coal being the best option for us uh, if we can get ESCOM working back to um, its historical performance. Um, And then we can phase it out. I'm keen to phase out because to phase out coal power stations eventually, just not rapidly. I think it needs to be over a long sustained period of time.
0: I, I agree definitely with that last point that, uh, you know, rapid change for a country that's in the financial and, uh, and, and uh, the sort of electricity position we are in is really not advisable. Um, and ideally, I would like to see a, a time when South Africa fully embraces nuclear power in particular, uh, as, mm-hmm. as I think that is the best solution. But uh, anyway, that is all the time we have for today. I hope that you found the show interesting. And that is indeed a wrap.